You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast, sponsored by Manscaped. Today, I talk NFL Draft with The Athletic's Dane Brugler. Follow him online at DP Brugler. Read him at The Athletic. He's very good, very good insight. We discuss tackle options if the Redskins want to sign a vet but draft and develop another player when, when and if they trade Trent Williams. We discuss tight ends in the middle rounds. Brugler mocked a tight end to the Redskins in the third round. To me, he's an intriguing guy. And, of course, we discuss all the options the Redskins have at number two. Also, don't forget to check out my work on ESPN.com. Before I get to Dane, I wanted to address for a minute the Trent Williams situation. I have a couple thoughts, as always, and bear with me. Just be a minute, a couple minutes, and I'll get you on to Dane. First of all, it's a shame because Trent Williams will go down as one of the Redskins' best all-time linemen, and he'll now leave here before he should have. That happens. But usually it's because someone isn't playing at a high level or isn't worth the money. Williams has durability issues, but is still one of the best left tackles in the game. I know it gives people pause, and it should, to consider paying him that much money when he misses multiple games every year. But he is a different dude on the field. It kind of took a while for me to warm to the idea of him being a captain. I know he's well-liked and respected in the locker room. I always have enjoyed my interactions with him over the years. That hasn't stopped me from reporting the Redskins' side in this situation, and they have always believed it's about money, as I have always written in any story about this. Always. I know Williams would disagree with the, with the money aspect, in terms of that's what it was all about, but if you report his beef, you have to report how the other side sees it. As for his trade value, it's kind of tough. Clearly, the Redskins would like to somehow get a first-round pick in return. That's going to be difficult, and I... I do believe they know this. Nobody offered a first-rounder in the fall. Whatever you read, nobody offered that to them. It's hard to see anybody doing that now. Impossible? I can't say that unless I talk to every team who might be interested. But I can tell you that people in the league who have made deals, have the, what they'll say is a second-rounder is probably the highest they'll get. Some people thought it might be a third. Some thought you could get two picks in return. So you look at the Dwayne Brown situation a couple years ago, when he went out to Seattle, they got a third and then a future two. Something like that I think they would happily take. Um, I don't know why you'd trade him just for a third-round pick. I think there would be great reluctance to do that. I would, in that situation, I'd just bring him back, let him play so you don't have to worry about the position now, address other areas, worry about it next offseason, and if he leaves, you're going to get a third-round comp pick in return in 2022. I don't think the Redskins should now just give him away. If I'm the Redskins, I have some resolve over this. The wrong way to do business at this point is to simply say, you're tired of it, let's get him out of here. That way you ensure a bad return. It wouldn't shock me either if they somehow accepted a player in return, taking perhaps one of their own needs off the table. 
Finally, it'll be interesting to see which teams emerge from him. Several teams have already talked to Williams and his, and his side, and the Redskins have talked to a few teams as well. I know Houston and Cleveland wanted him last fall. Again, I was told nobody offered a one. I stress that I say that I was told that because some of these people only going to go by what they were told, but it's been consistent in, that, in, that, in what I've heard. The Browns still have a need at left tackle. They are in position to draft a tackle at 10. However, what if the tackle they like is gone? So maybe the smarter play for them is to give Washington, let's say, a second-round pick or some sort of combination of a third and a future two, whatever, and then take that need off the board. Of course, the Browns might like a couple of those tackles, be happy with any of them at 10, then they could keep the other pick or picks and spend the cap money elsewhere. Because there's, here's the guarantee, folks. Nobody's going to trade for Trent if they can't sign an extension, and he's not going to want to go somewhere if he's not signed an extension. So that, that's why the agent is talking to these teams or trying to go out there and seek his own deal because they've got to work out his compensation before then they can go work out the Redskins. And just this is a little detour, but there's, a, there's, a ch- there's always a chance that Trent and his side could work out a deal with the team and then this team goes to the Redskins and say, we'll give you a fourth-round pick. Well, I can tell you that's not going to cut it. Anyways, let's get back to it. So while it is a good draft for tackles up high, and you know my understanding is what I've heard from people, that usually you reach for tackles up high. That's not going to be the case this year. These are legitimate tackles in terms of the first-round grades and where they'll be picked. But none of them are of Trent Williams' caliber. That helps the Redskins. Would Houston still be interested? They already have Laramie Tunsil left tackle. They made a big investment in him last fall. But when you have a coach in power like Bill O'Brien, you don't, who, you, they, you, these teams don't always see big picture and simply collecting talent is the goal. I'm not saying they're going to do this. I don't know. I don't believe that they've talked to the Redskins. I don't know that for sure. Um, I don't know that they, they may have contacted Trent. I don't know. But I asked someone about it because the athletic reported that they might, that Houston might still have interest. This person said he wouldn't be shocked. And because of the reason I said about O'Brien, who knows? Don't take that as a report. I'm just, it's just, you know, we're kind of walking through this process. However, if Houston did that, then they're going to move Tunsil to the right tackle because there's zero chance Trent goes there to play on the right side. The Jets will be one of the interested teams, I do believe. New England backed out in the fall. They had shown interest. Um, my understanding is they kind of backed out when they found out that he wanted more money. Um, the Rams need a tackle. They might re-sign Andrew Whitworth, but Sean McVay knows Williams very well, of course. Minnesota has a big need at, at tackle. They're also a team that is kind of in a desperate situation in that, you know, is their window closing? Depends what goes on with, with Kirk Cousins and their future there. So maybe that's a place, but they don't have the cap room. So they'd have to do a lot of maneuvering to get him. So we'll see what happens. Folks, buckle up. And now my conversation with the Athletics Draft Analyst, Dane Brugler. Enjoy. Hey guys, it's Bram. I just wanted to say hi. Thank you for supporting the John Kime Report. It's been a pleasure working with John and putting this podcast together every week. And I want to introduce you to our new sponsor, Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. I groom. Yes, I groom. And I always use the traditional methods, which were semi-dangerous, 
you know, clipping around there is not the easiest thing to do. And that's why I love the products from Manscaped. They engineer team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest trimmer ever created. And they just released their new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. I've used it, it's awesome. I know the first time you pick it up, you're gonna be like, I'm a little nervous doing this. Don't be, it is easy and there is no problems at all, no accidents at all. And one of the coolest real features of the whole thing is they've got this LED light, which illuminates the grooming area. So for a closer, more precise trimming, you'll be very, I know you wanna be careful. I'm very careful as well. It's an awesome, awesome piece of equipment. Get 20% off free shipping with the code KIME, K-E-I-M, at manscaped.com. Once again, 20% off and free shipping with the code KIME, K-E-I-M, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code K-E-I-M. And now I'm joined by Dan Brugler, who is... A- NFL draft analyst for The Athletic has had a great rise through social media. One of the benefits of social media is getting to read people like Dane because I think it's broadened the perspective of, of many. It's given many people a voice, and Dane has taken advantage of that for good reason because he does very good work. And I don't say that just because, Dane, that you went to school, the same school that my brother did, Mount Union. So, yeah, it, it, Division Three powerhouse. Uh you know, I, it's funny, I went there um, for sport management and uh, that, that actually helped me get started in scouting because Pierre Garcon and I right. were seniors together. And so that kind of introduced me to the scouting world because I worked for the football team uh, as my senior year. And so I was in charge of helping a lot of these scouts come through Alliance and show them you know, the football facilities and practices and things like that. And so that helps my networking, getting in the world of scouting and uh, it's some of so a lot of those relationships I still have today. And, and that's, you know, it's funny because I was going to ask you about Pierre because I know that you were there at the same time. What mm-hmm. was it like watching him at that level? Because, you know, he was a very good NFL player, let alone what he would do in Division Three. Yeah, he was dominant. And, you know, Division Three in the, in the OAC, it's, you know, John Carroll and right. Ohio Northern and Mesquino, just a lot of teams just that, uh, you know, they're, they're – it, there's some quality play for Division Three, but it's not nothing like you know you see on Saturdays on on TV at the you know SEC Big Ten level. Um, but you know he he was so good. He's such a good athlete. Um, he could also throw the ball. I mean he there, yeah. there were a lot of times we'd we'd have packages for him to uh, you know do an end around or something like that and let him throw the ball because he he had such a good arm and uh, you know he started in Florida and you know had a kind of a, a little bit of a, a journey to get to us at, at, at Mount Union in Ohio and um, it, it was fun watching him that seemed my senior year unfortunately Wisconsin Whitewater uh, yeah. was uh, just a little bit better in the Stag Bowl the national title game that year but uh, nonetheless it was a, it was a great final year for for both of us. Did you did you I mean not to harp on Pierre and just be the last one him but did you think that he could do end up do I mean it's hard to predict an NFL career like he had but did you right. think he would be that good in the NFL did you think there was a chance uh, Well I any everybody all the scouts that came through I, I told him I was like listen this guy is you know at worst he's a mid round pick uh, because that's just the type of guy you want to take a chance on a uh, really quality human being a really good athlete uh, but even with that said I think he exceeded my expectations um uh, just it's just tough when you play against D3 corners and then you know how is that going to translate against uh, you know NFL level corners obviously it's a huge jump and it's really tough to uh, account for that type of uh, jump in competition so 
I, I think he really exceeded everybody's expectations. Uh, but nonetheless, I thought he was a mid-round pick in the Colts. I think they got him in the, in the fifth round, and that ended up being a huge deal for them. And be, because, and I want to switch gears now <clears throat> to the draft. And when with the Redskins now, and we're taping this after learning about the Redskins giving Trent Williams um, permission to seek a trade, and that means they have to, if, if, assuming they end up trading him, they have to now find a tackle, and the draft has some pretty good tackles. They're not necessarily in position to get one of those tackles right now. I mean, unless you took one and two, which you're not going to do. But I'm curious, first of all, what are, what are the options maybe in the if they add a second-round pick or just stay in the third round? What are some options in those rounds? Because we hear about the top-end tackles. Are there guys in that second to fourth round range that you look at and say, hey, give this guy a year or maybe this guy is someone that people are sleeping on who could help sooner rather than later? Yeah, I think it's definitely a, a top-heavy class at the tackle position. Um, you know, we know about Jedrick Wills and Mekhi Becton, Tristan Wirfs, Andrew Thomas, these guys. Uh, but we might have six or seven tackles go first round. Guys like Austin Jackson, Josh right. Jones. I think Ezra Cleveland um, is in that mix now with what he did right. at the Combine. Um, I, I think if you talk about second round, Isaiah Wilson from Georgia, who, you know, big right, right. Uh, right tackle, redshirt sophomore, still very young. Um, he's a Brooklyn kid who – um, is, uh, you know, still growing, and not physically. He, he's, he's a monster of a guy, but still growing mentally um, t uh, with his technique, uh, being more consistent. And so that's why we're talking about him as being a more of a second-round guy. Um, and then if we get into the third round, that's when you get into some guys that, um, you know, there's a reason we're talking about them as third-round picks right. and not first- or second-round picks. So, you know, Lucas Niang from uh, TCU, who missed half the year with a uh, hip labrum tear, uh, he was a right tackle at TCU, a uh, really talented player who doesn't always look pretty, but he gets the job done more times than not. Prince Tegawanogo from Auburn, right. uh, born in Nigeria, came over to play basketball, played, uh, started playing football in high school, but it was mostly defensive line, goes to the offensive line. And so he's very young in football years, and he's still coming along. Uh, but you see the natural athleticism, and so it might take him a, a year or two. Uh, same, similar thing with Matt Pert. Uh, from from UConn, who are, right. you know, I think he's kind of in a lot of ways the ideal developmental tackle because he has size, he can move, he just needs to tweak some of the, you know, the finer points of the position. Uh, but again, it's tough because the tackle position is, it usually gets overdrafted. So a guy like uh, Matt Parrott from, from UConn, ideally that's who you get in like the fourth round right. uh, as your developmental tackle. But in today's NFL, with everybody needing so many tackles, uh, better bet that Parrott ends up going in the third round. Um, you have to draft him maybe a little bit earlier than you once thought. And, you know, so the other scenario for them would be if they trade it. Let's say they make the trade with Miami. You get 5-18 and 18 in the first round. At 18, and you went over all those tackles, is there a guy – and I know, like, there, it almost feels like right in that range might be the gap between where – top guys are gone and then the next wave starts after several picks after that is there someone that you could see falling to 18 in that scenario that you that made that, that may fit what they need at left tackle I think Josh Jones and Austin Jackson both those guys would would be uh, quality contenders for that pick uh, with Josh Jones um, I, he is a guy that's really blossoming at the right time and when you, uh, I, uh, my favorite part of the draft process is learning about these guys and their journey. And when you look at Josh Jones, who's a redshirt senior, 
Uh, you look over his career at Houston. He was in three different offenses. He had five different offensive line coaches. Right, so that really stunted his growth and, you know, kind of held him back a little bit. But uh, you see the natural talent. Uh, he has really quiet feet. Um, he does a nice job climbing, engaging linebackers. Uh, doesn't looks natural in space. Uh, he can sink. He can use his hands. Um, so I think Josh Jones, I, I, you know, there, I think there is a little bit of a gap after those top four. Uh, but I don't think it's a huge gap. And so okay. I think Josh Jones belongs somewhere in that, you know, the mid, to, you know, 15 to 25, that type of range. And then Austin Jackson, kind of similar. He's a, uh, kind of a little bit different. He's more, he's younger. He's a true junior that came out, probably could have used another the year, but the natural talent's uh, clear. So Josh Jones, Austin Jackson, I, I think either one of those guys uh, would make a lot of sense there uh, if Miami was able to, or if uh, Washington's able to make that trade with Miami. And it's funny because in terms of the Redskins trying to trade trend, this draft class, if you need a tackle in the first round, you can find them. That's, I would imagine mm -hmm. that's going, that could end up depressing them. I wonder how the impact of that would have on their ability to trade trend because of what's in this draft. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. Uh, and it's because this, it's like you mentioned, it's not just this uh, draft class. You look at, uh, you know, what's available out there. Right. I mean, Jason Peters is, is available. Look, it sounds like, um, you know, there's, there's, there's definitely a few um, offensive tackles that uh, teams can go after. And so there's going to, these teams are going to have options and it, it will be interesting. Uh, you know, what, what is the asking price for, for a guy like Trent Williams, who is obviously uh, when he's on the field, he's one of the best uh, tackles in the league. Uh, now he's obviously on the downside of his career or, you know, going trending right. towards that way. So, you know, what's uh, – how many more years does he have at a, you know, high level? And what's uh, – you know, because it, it doesn't really matter uh, how good a player is. Your value is only what the team's willing to pay. So, right. you know, it, it, it should be interesting. And you look at, you know, a team like the Browns who, um, you know, they have a first-round pick, second-round pick, and then two third-round picks. So, you know, maybe one of those third-round picks, um, you know, is, is part of a sweetener to uh, – to, to get a guy like Trent Williams. So it, it will be an interesting dynamic to this offseason, uh, just the tackle class, both free agency, trade, but then also the draft and, you know, just the, all the options if that drives down the value at all. Okay, and now let's turn to what – I want to look at a couple other options. And then um, the first scenario, they stay at two. And I know in your latest mock you had them taking Chase Young, and that's mm -hmm. still the guy that I think they're going to take. What is your assessment of Chase Young compared to some of the other guys who have come out in recent years? He, he reminds me a lot of uh, Bradley Chubb, except he, I think he's just a freakier version uh, of that. Um, uh, a couple years ago, Chubb was a fourth yeah. overall pick, had a pretty good rookie year, unfortunately missed last year with, a, with an ACL. Um, you know, he's, he's not quite as technically proficient as, you know, the Bosa's when they were coming out. I mean, that's really what separates Nick Bosa for what he did as a rookie, uh, his understanding of his biomechanics, his understanding of technique, just really rare for a player that age. Um, but I, so while I think that, you know, I don't, I don't think Chase Young is going to have the same rookie year as say a Nick Bosa did, but when we look back five years from now, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we're talking about uh, Chase as being, you know, just a better NFL player, because I, I think his ceiling is higher. I, he can continue to get better and better and better uh, with his power, with his hands. Uh, with his athleticism, um, there's just the sky is the limit for this guy. Uh, he's just a special, special talent, and that's why it's going to be really tough, I think, for uh, the Redskins to trade out of that pick when they right. have a guy like Chase Young staring them right in the face. Uh, you know, the the second most important position on your roster, 
I think they they feel um, like they have the first most important position after uh, what they did with Dwayne Haskins last year. You know, we'll we'll see how that plays out. But um, it just when you have a chance to get a guy like this, uh, you, you don't pass it up. And so I'm with you. I, I'd be pretty shocked if uh, Chase Young is not the pick at number two. And you know, it's funny because one of the things that people will point out, well, well, he was quiet in his last couple of games, didn't get the sacks. When you watch those games, there are a lot of reasons for that, and you can't always measure the impact by sacks. And I'm not trying to give them excuses. Oh, yeah. But I watched the games. I saw what they did. And even against Clemson, he was in the backfield a lot. And that's where my next – first of all, I want to be curious, your assessment of those games. And then second, one of the things I've noticed with him, and then somebody – I had heard someone else say this, and then you notice it a little bit more. He's a great get off off the ball. And it's about finishing with a little bit more refined technique, with maybe finish with a rip move. So he's not always having so he can turn it sharper. And, you know, I think that would have resulted in some more big plays against some of that, you know, some of those games. But I'm just curious your assessment on that. Yeah, and to your point about the last three games, um, you, you know, it's talking to guys at the Combine, like uh, John Runyon, the Michigan uh, left tackle, I, he admitted, he's like, we changed our entire offense to, to stop him. You know, right. we – we, you know, the, the way we were rolling out the pocket, the way we were, you know, leaving a back or a tight end uh, home to help. Uh, I mean, they, they literally changed their entire offensive game plan to stop one player. And so sacks, sacks are great. And, you know, that's, that's how we uh, measure a pass rusher in a lot of situations. But uh, it doesn't tell the whole story. It's all right. about disruption. And Chase Young's ability to just completely alter a game plan for an offense is a, a, a value that doesn't show up in the box score necessarily. And, you know, it might not show up in the stack in, in the stat sheet, but it is a big, big impact. And so I, I think that we saw that in each of those last three games, um, I, you know, to your point about, um, you know, just how he can get a little bit better with his technique and, you know, Larry Johnson, the defensive line coach, just a, an absolute legend at Ohio state and uh, what he's done over his time at in college football. I think he – that's one of the things you really like about Chase Young is – I call it the LeBron factor. Um, you know, it's it, – these guys won the DNA lottery. You know, the, right. just their the, – the way they were born, the, the things that they were born with that, you know, you and I and a lot of people listening, like, we'll just – we'll never know what it's like to have those type of gifts that were just, you know, given to them by God. And um, now it's one thing to have those gifts, but it's another to really cultivate it and really work at it. And so – you know, that's why I call it the LeBron factor, because as good as LeBron is, he works his tail off to be yes. the best in the world. And so a guy like Chase Young, who has all these gifts, he really works at it, too, because he wants to be the best. And, you know, he Larry Johnson was such a big factor on him, um, you know, just learning the different moves, uh, you know, keeping his hips, his hands, his feet all in sync. Um, and it's, I think that really what separates Chase Young from a lot of these pass rushers that I evaluate at the at the college level coming out is, uh, their their hips, their eyes, their feet, always on the same page. And that really allows you to set up your moves, uh, you know, a two-hand swipe or right. uh, you know, the, just the different scissors action that they like to use at Ohio State. Um, it, it's, it's something that is really, really impressive with Young because he's, again, not only just gifted uh, athletically with his power, uh, but he understands how to use his hands. And he's still growing. He's a really smart player. Yeah. Uh, you know, he can sense draws. He'll sense screens. He sees things happening. And that's just – that happens from tape study and putting in the work. So, uh, he, there are areas – he's not a perfect player, obviously. I mean, there are times where, uh, you know, he's, he's guilty of guessing a little bit. He needs to be a little bit better of a finisher at times. But I don't think it's going to be something that 
uh, you know, he can't correct uh, with uh, more coaching and more uh, just muscle memory and getting better at it. I agree. And you're also talking about, you know, Del Rio and, and Ron Rivera. They've had in their mm -hmm. background Julius Peppers, Von Miller, Khalil Mack. I know that they really would like to build this defense around him. But then the other option is, you know, there's that school of thought. Tua, Tua is going to be sitting there. So mo most likely, unless the Bengals do something we don't expect. So how did you compare Tua to Dwayne Haskins as prospects coming out? Well, strictly as prospects and not talking about, you know, durability or anything like that. Right. Um, you know, Tua, they're, they're obviously very different. Um, Haskins is a bigger guy, has a bigger arm, um, where uh, Tua is a little more mobile. He's more twitchy. Um, you know, he's, he's undersized. He's only six foot um, compared to a guy like Haskins. Um, but I think the movement skills really is what separates them. Um, you know, Tua doesn't have necessarily the same type of arm strength as, uh, as Haskins has, but he can still, because he's so twitchy with his body movements, his hips, his, uh, his throwing action, he's able to get the ball out and onto his receivers in time, uh, the way he, he can improvise. But, you know, I, I, you just can't talk about Tua without talking about the durability concerns. Correct. And that's, 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 that's really, concern. yeah. And it's the wild, it's what makes him a wild card because, uh, you know, it's, even today, where we're at, where we just left the combine, um, you know, we're in the pro day season. Teams are, you know, they've built their boards. Now they're kind of refining them, moving guys up and down a little bit, um, you know, really putting things in stone. And I feel like Tua, we still don't, we have no idea because until we see him throw, it's just, it's just, there's no chance of understanding uh, what, you know, his future and how you project him because when you watch him throw at Alabama, he uses so much of his body, his hips. Um, and so guy, a guy coming off a, a fractured hip, uh, until you see him throw, you really can't make an assessment on him. Uh, it's great that he's, you know, he's supposed to be cleared uh, on March 9th. Um, you know, everything's been going uh, well so far in terms of, you know, the doctor signing off on every step of the process. But until we see him out there throwing, I, we, I don't know how anybody could really have a, a great feeling for how, you know, where he's going to end up uh, and where he's going to be. The, the medical information coming out of the combine was, you know, things were okay, but teams are cautiously optimistic about it because it, it, there's a lot of stuff. Um, it's not just the hip. It's both ankles. Right. Uh, it's, it's his finger. It's, it's his knee that he tweaked. So it's, there's a lot, a lot of things that uh, each team had to kind of work through with Tua and he spent the entire day, uh, you know, he said he got to, uh, I think he got there at like, uh, I don't know, 7 a.m. and left at uh, some, some point in the evening. I mean, he was at the hospital the entire day for every team to kind of go through him. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I do not think he's as much of a lock in the top five as a lot of people think, just because the durability factor. And not every team is going to have that high appetite for risk. So, right. um, you know, I, I hope the NFL is better if Tua Tonga-Valoa is part of it and he's healthy. So I'm hoping that he can be and teams are convinced that he is and he ends up going top five. And I'm hoping that is the case because I think it'd be a lot of fun. But I'm just not sold based off of just what the buzz is around the league leaving the combine. They're, they're cautiously optimistic, but there's still a lot of I, I don't know. It's still, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty about where he's going to end up. And I think that's why if you're the Redskins that even though someone says, well, he's they may think he's better than Dwayne Haskins, but you really have to weigh it with the two with his durability right. versus the impact of a guy like Chase Young too. And 
And I think that's where I think that durability is going to be a big issue because it's hard to get around that. And that, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's where I think from the Redskins perspective will be a deciding factor, assuming they just stick with Chase Young because there aren't those questions about him. And you have an organization that has had a lot of trouble with injuries. I think it'd be hard to then take a chance with your first pick on a guy who's often hurt. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's tough. And it's, it's the most important position on your roster. And, it, you know, I think something that, you know, uh, Tua is, a, a, he's, he, you know, he's six foot, but he's 220. So he's got some, some meat on the bones. Uh, but the biggest thing with him is how he loves to improvise. And he just needs to do a better job taking care of his body, um, you know, not taking those extra hits and not holding the ball until the final seconds. And, you know, it's tough because that part of that is what makes him such right. an effective quarterback because he'll get outside the pocket. He'll improvise. He'll allow his receivers just to be athletes, go get open, and he'll find them. And that's great. That's part of what makes him successful. But it's also what takes, uh, you know, puts some of those extra hits on him. And you just – you worry about long-term, um, just, uh, you know, the ability to to hold up physically and stay on the field. And it, it's it's tough because you, you leave it up to your doctors. Um, and they have to make an assessment. You have to trust it. And uh, so it's, it's a very complicated evaluation. I'll, I'll say this. I will not be shocked at all if uh, Jordan Love or Justin Herbert is a second quarterback drafted. I, and I, I think you're right there. And I think that's, I, that's why I wonder, too, if there's going to be the market to trade up for number two that everybody thinks. And I've had some people tell me that, you know, that teams are calling up about that teams would call up to trade for Chase Young at two. So I think that's where the yeah. other part, because that's why I think I don't know if the Redskins, you know, it's hard to know, will they get what everybody assumes they would? Because if you're Miami, you have to give all that up to go get Tua if that's what you want. Or can you sit at five and get Love or Herbert? You know, I think. That's going to make it really interesting. Well, and here's the other thing about Miami is I don't think they would have any problem just staying pat and adding a left tackle or a pass rusher or, you know, just building that roster, maybe trade training to trade back and getting more ammo in next year's draft to make yeah. sure they can go up and get Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. Uh, yeah. So I don't think that they feel like they have to get the quarterback this year. I don't think they feel that pressure. They know it's a rebuilding process. And so – uh, you know, they've got a lot of ammo, a lot of draft capital. I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, they just are they're not completely in love with any of these quarterbacks. They decide to trade back if they can, pick up picks in next year's draft, and then just, you know, next year's where they really target one of those quarterbacks. And, you know, it's funny, and this is my, my – I want to move on to your third-round pick for the Redskins in the mock, but my best thing on that, too, is if I'm the Redskins, you can kind of look the same way. You have a chance to get Chase Young, and if you're not – if you, you know, you, you don't force the quarterback there because you have a guy that maybe you want to try and develop. And if it doesn't work, then you right now, as of right now, you're looking at two really good quarterbacks in the draft next year. And then you, there's always that other guy that emerges that could give you another option right. if you wanted to go that way. So, but let's go to the third round, your third round pick in your mock, Adam Troutman, the tight end from Dayton to the Redskins. They clearly need a tight end. Um, what, you know, now he became like, he's become like, I don't know about darling of the offseason, but he's certainly a guy that's had made some noise in the offseason. What do you like about him um, as, a, as a player and a prospect? Yeah, and I wrote about him back in September. Um, I really liked when I studied him over the summer because uh, he, he got mid-round grades uh, over the summer from scouts. Um, and so I checked him out, and I, I really liked what I saw um, based off the tape. And so I, uh, I did a, a piece on him back in September on The Athletic, just talking to him about the transition from quarterback to tight end. He never caught a pass in his life in a game. 
um, until his uh, his redshirt freshman year at Dayton. Uh, he was he was always the quarterback. Uh, he went he grew up in a small school system, and him and his brothers were the quarterbacks. You know, when his older brother was done, then it was it was his turn, and then uh, his younger brother after him uh, goes to Dayton as a quarterback, and you know he's like I want to get on the field, and so he he saw a need at tight end and. Uh, they spent five minutes at practice throwing him uh, passes and running routes. And they said, okay, you're a tight end. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that's continued the momentum. Um, you know, he's, uh, he was the, the, his conference's offensive player of the year. I mean, every time I watched him, he was the best player on the field. Um, and that continued at the senior bowl. He did a really nice job there against better competition. Uh, has a little bit of juice as a blocker. Uh, but I think where he's really impressive is as a pass catcher. Uh, not, not a blazer, ran a 480 which I think matches up with uh, what the tape says. He's not a guy that's just going to, you know, blow by safeties down the seam, but he's a really fluid athlete. And that really allows him to separate, give the quarterback a little sliver of separation um, at the top of routes, especially if he's going up against a linebacker or a safety. So uh, I think Adam Troutman, yes, he's coming from uh, the FCS level. There's going to be a jump in competition, but I think this guy's ready for it. Um, you know, he, he is a guy that is uh, – uh, as a pass catcher, as a blocker, I think he's ascending. I think he's getting better and better. So I'm going to bet on that athleticism. Uh, I'm going to bet on that just being a fluid big man. Um, and, I, you know, I don't know that he's going to go – this tight end class is weird because it's not – I don't know that we have a true top 50 right. pick in this tight end group. I think Cole Komet from Notre Dame, he's got a shot to maybe go top 50, top 60. Troutman, he's right there in that mix, could sneak into the second round. But if he's available at the top of the third, I think he'd be a great option for the Redskins. And, you know, it's funny because you talk about the 4-8. And when Jordan Reed was here, former quarterback, now he played at a higher level in college, mm -hmm. former quarterback, not a blazer, but could win quick. And that was always mm -hmm. the strength of his game because if you can create that separation underneath, now you're creating yards after the catch as well. And so that's, like, I think for a tight end, I'm going to – I want that as much as – especially for a young quarterback, give me a guy who can win fast. And so if that's – if you feel like that's kind of could be his game, yeah, no question. And two things, when I uh, talked to him back in September, uh, two things about Adam really stood out to me. First, his basketball background. Uh, he was a big basketball player growing up, and you see that uh, on the football field because he does Another win quick. And comparison there. Exactly. Uh, and his ability to high point, his ability to go strong to the football over defenders, that's a really uh, – that's a part of his game because it doesn't matter, uh, you know, how good of a tight end you are. Uh, you know, you're, you're not a receiver is going to – you know, you're not Tyree Kill. You're going to create that instant separation. You have to be able to catch the football with defenders draped all over you, and he was able to do that consistently. Uh, and then the other factor that really stood out to me with him, this dude is so competitive. He just wants to win. I mean, he was telling me about back in high school how, you know, he played at a small school. He There was, what, I think 21 players on his varsity team, he told me. And so just a very small uh, small team, small atmosphere. And he, he hated it because he was so competitive, but he was like one of the only ones on the team that said, or, you know, that's going full go at practice. And he wants, you know, just and this is how he's wired. Uh, so just a, that competitive spirit, that competitive uh, tenacity is something that has really served him well at Dayton, at, uh, at the Senior Bowl, at the Combine. And I think it'll continue to serve him well uh, in the NFL. So I think this guy's for real. I don't think he's just a, you know, a small school darling who's, you know, flashes a little bit here and there. I think he's got legitimate NFL starting traits uh, once he gets to the next level. And then the last last thing, Dan, I appreciate your time. Redskins also going to need – they have a bunch of needs, but receiver is another one. And I, I think they're going to try and solve some of their issues in, the, in free agency. 
but that may be difficult because the guys you like might not be there. Same at running back. Because this receiver class is so deep, are there guys in that third round that you say, like, this is, you know, third, fourth round that could be, this is the guy to watch here. I think this guy could really blossom. And I think in your mock, I think you even had, like, Michael Pittman in the third round. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just such a loaded class. I mean, and that's, we're going to see, you know, six, seven tackles go in the first round. We're going to see pass rushers go early. And as good as this wide receiver class is, we're going to see a lot of teams say, yeah, we, you know, we really do like Jerry Judy. We're, we really do like C.D. Lamb. But you know what? We feel really good about those receivers in the second, third round. And so we're going to get our pass rusher early, our corner, whatever. And it's going to push some of these wide receivers down. So we're going to have second round graded uh, receivers going to third round. And third round graded receivers going to fourth round. So there's no question. It, if the Redskins wanted to wait until the fourth round, I think they'd still find tremendous value there. You know, a guy like Gabriel Davis, Davis from UCF. Uh, could go in the third round, but wouldn't be shocked if he's still around in the fourth. Uh, K.J. Hill, more of a slot option out of Ohio State. I think he's a guy that in a lot of years would be in the top 100. But in this draft, good chance uh, you know he's more in the fourth round range. Um, if you're looking for uh, maybe more of an athletic Marvel who you want to develop, that's Donovan Peoples-Jones out of Michigan, who former top recruit, five-star guy, didn't have the career that many people thought, still needs to – uh, you know, grow as a, you know, pay attention to some of the details of the position in terms of his route running and getting open. But, uh, you know, he showed at the combine how he's just a physical marvel. And there's a lot of athletic traits there that you can work with. Uh, Van Jefferson from Florida, who uh, unfortunately we didn't see at the combine because of a, a, a fracture in his foot. One of the best route runners uh, in this class. And because of the injury, because we don't have necessarily have those times on him from the combine maybe he gets lost in the shuffle and he's available in that early fourth round so uh you know this is just a wide receiver class that you can wait on your guy and still feel comfortable with who you're going to get in the third or fourth round dan listen i appreciate your time folks check him out with the athletic and also on twitter at dp brugler very very informative and i and i like i said i've kind of followed your rise here as an ohio guy i know terry pluto would always go to you and, and use you. And I, and I thought that was very wise on his part. You offer a lot of great insight and I appreciate you joining me. Well, I appreciate that anytime, John. After this break, I'll be back with a quick wrap up. Welcome back. Well, this is the silly season. So be careful with all the rumors and social media player postings that will occur over the next month or two. Last year, we saw it with Stephon Diggs. A lot of rumors about him and the Redskins based on his Instagram postings, and we're seeing it again with him as well. The other day, Dwayne Haskins posted something on Instagram with Diggs in a Redskins uniform. What does it mean? Well, who knows? They're boys. Listen, Diggs, I do believe, would welcome a trade out of Minnesota. I've been told by a few people that he'd like to be the guy somewhere. Unless he's clearly the number one, I wonder if he'll be happy anywhere. If he came here, he would have Terry McLaurin, who would take a lot of work. But Diggs is a very good receiver, and I think there are some people who would consider him their number one if he comes here. What I do know is that Haskins and Diggs have a long-time relationship. When Haskins was in high school, he'd organize throwing sessions to receivers, and Diggs, then at Maryland, would often join him. That stuff helps. They are boys. But if Diggs continues to be unhappy in a situation, I wonder, is that somebody that Rivera would want to bring in? Would he feel like a change of scenery would be good? Who knows? What I have been told by a few people, though, and the Vikings have said this publicly, 
but it's also what you hear privately, is that they don't have any interest in trading him, that they consider him part of their future. And when they're putting together the roster for this year, they view him as a key part of that. That is what they've said, at least. Anyway, as you know, everything will be analyzed and overanalyzed in the coming months. Enjoy. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you very much to The Athletic's Dan Brugler for joining me again. Check out his work. You can in The Athletic, but also follow him on Twitter at DP Brugler. Really good insight into the draft. Really worked his way up to, the, to be in a good spot that he is in now. So worth a follow. And also, thank you for listening. I have a very good guest coming up later this week, ESPN's Bill Barnwell. We're going to talk about the Redskins roster as the Redskins and everybody else heads into free agency. Talk to you then.